Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to yeah. that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. You may have heard that prolonged dummy use can lead to a variety of speech disorders in children, but new research from the University of Sydney has found that's not entirely true. By examining the sucking behaviours of preschoolers, researchers found that things like dummies may not be associated with the majority of speech problems in children. Dr Elise Baker was the lead researcher in the study and she joins us now to explain more. Hi Elise, how are you? I'm well, thank you. The study's findings suggest that there is no correlation between dummy use and speech problems in children. What sorts of speech problems did you look at? Was it, um, I understand there was lisps, I can't even say lisps, it happens all the time, Um, or was it um, communication and other language impairments like stutters as well? Okay, so we looked specifically at speech problems, um, and there's actually five different types of speech problems that can occur in childhood. Um, And so we looked at, a lisp is one type of those five, Um, we looked at the most common type, which is called a phonology impairment, and that's sound like a bit of a technical term, but once you um, dig apart the term phonology, it makes sense. So phonology is made up of the word phono. Phono just simply means sound, like your phone is your sound. Yeah, And ology is knowledge, just like babyology, it's about knowledge of babies. Here we've got phonology is knowledge of sounds. And so what children need to do when they're learning to talk, and we see children struggling to learn the sound system when they're one and two, completely acceptable. Um, So you take a word like spaghetti, for example. A one-year-old is not going to say spaghetti perfectly. They'll usually say something like getty or detty or det det. Which is so cute. Yeah, really cute. (laughs) And there's lots of really cute ways and the way that children pronounce, figure out simplified ways of pronouncing tricky words like spaghetti. Um, And then what happens is that as children get older and they're learning to talk, they're learning words, they're learning grammar, you know, rather than saying me did it, they'll say I did it. So they're learning all these rules about language. Um, and the sounds that make up our words are also um, have rules about where sounds can go in words. So, for example, in English, for example, um, the sound at the end of the word sing, mm, um, we actually don't start any words with that sound. That sound only ever occurs in the middle of a word or at the end of a word. We don't ever use that sound at the beginning. Other languages use that sound at the beginning, for example. Uh, fascinating. It's really fascinating. <laughs> and I find it com- still completely amazed, been in this field as a speech pathologist for over 20 years, and still am so amazed at how children learn and crack this code of the sound system in the language. Now, what happens is that when a child um, is struggling to figure out those rules of the sounds in the language and where the, you know, which sounds can go in which words and which order, um, when they start to, we see that when they're three, but typically by the age of about four, if their speech isn't 100% understood by an unfamiliar listener, and we're seeing these kind of pattern-based errors, that's when we say there is a, phono- a phonology impairment. Uh, another term, if you start Googling, it's a phonology disorder or a phonology delay. But they all mean that same thing of struggling to learn or know about the sounds in the language and the rules of what sounds go in what words in what ways. So um, with those sorts of, would you call those um, 
a speech impediment or is that a different kind no, of... No, you would still call it a speech impediment because the child's speech, the, the symptom is that the child's speech is difficult to understand. And they can't, they yeah. can't enunciate yeah. properly. Yeah. So it's, mm. it's different to a lisp. So a lisp is when a child has a really specific difficulty with the S and just getting the tongue in the right shape to produce the clear S sound. Sometimes children will produce an S with their tongue between their teeth and it sounds like a, a quite a muffled, like um, a TH sound instead of a nice clear S. Sometimes... They'll let the air for a lisp, they'll let the air out the sides of their tongue, so it's quite sloshy, um, like a sound. Um, and that's another type of lisp. So lisp is one thing. In this study for children with dummies, we didn't include any children with lisps because it's a different kind of problem. We wanted to look specifically at children that had this phonology impairment. And typically, have parents sort of associated the use of the dummy with speech impediments? Is that why you were looking at that particular thing yeah, that's going on at, in yeah. their mouths, I yeah. guess. Um, this relationship between dummies and speech has been going on for a long time. There's controversy when you talk with parents about it and there's just that decision of whether I give my baby a dummy or not. Sometimes speech comes up in part of that decision making. Oh, we think it's related to speech problems, so we won't. Or um, it's related to ear infection, we won't. Or it's So there's lots of different pros and cons around dummies. One of them has been around speech. Because um, I have heard, sorry to interrupt, mm. but when you said that, it made me think of um, when babies are little. And I, I remember, vaguely remember one parent saying, when you put a dummy in the mouth, you're stopping them from expressing themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I've heard that idea as well, kind of like that plugging them up idea. Um, that's where I think it's helpful to understand how and the purpose of a dummy. Um, so for a, an infant, um, a parent might choose to use a dummy to help settle their baby to sleep. Um, and that's the primary purpose. Once this dummy starts being used as this kind of comforter, a little bit like a blankie or a teddy, and they're awake and they're using it then, that's when I think that association, you know, that, that myth, I guess, is that actually you're plugging the child up and stopping them from having opportunities to talk. But what you found in this research, at least, is mm. that um, the dummy itself isn't where the challenges come for a child in terms of language development. That's right. So we found, so what we did is we recruited 199 children um, from in and around Sydney and um, we had a portion of those children, had 134 of those children actually had this phonology impairment and then the rest of the children had no speech problem at, at all. And then what we did is that, and that was assessed by a speech pathologist going in and directly assessing and listening to the child's speech. And then we asked the parents of all of those 199 children about their child's um, oral sucking habits. So we looked at breastfeeding, we looked at bottle use, we looked at dummies as well as thumb sucking. Um, and if we focus specifically on this issue around the dummies, what we found is that around about one in two children that had the speech problem had used a dummy, but also around one in two children that didn't have the speech problem had also used a dummy. And so there was no association. So just because um, a child could have quite a significant speech difficulty, this phonology um, difficulty, and have not used a dummy. And then you could have a child who doesn't have the problem and they did use a dummy. So that it just wasn't adding up. Um, we did wonder then, we thought, okay, well, if, if the child, if there's other reasons or under other factors contributing to why a child will have this phonology problem, would the use of a dummy make the problem worse? And so then, again, we looked at that group of children that had the phonology problem. And then we, again, we looked at... Would having a dummy um, and how long you've used a dummy for in terms of months of when the, uh, the child stopped using it or when the parent you know, took it off them, um, we looked at did it actually make the problem worse? Like was it associated actually being that 
having a, a more severe problem. So if you used a dummy and used it for a longer period of time, would that make this speech problem worse? And again, we didn't find that. So we found children that had quite severe phonology difficulties. Their speech was very difficult to understand as a four-year-old and they hadn't used a dummy. And then we saw children who also had this phonology problem and their speech was a bit easier to understand, was still an issue, but it was a bit easier to understand and they had used a dummy. So again, there wasn't a clear relationship there. So I think for this point from our study, for this common type of speech problem called this phonology impairment, dummy use does not seem to be related. So the big question is, Mm. I guess, what is causing that um, speech Mm. delay or the issues with getting their words right, which I was having problem with just then? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, that is the holy grail of research for speech pathologists. Um, We know for a small proportion of children that have difficulty with their speech that there is a known cause. So, for example, a child that uh, is born with a cleft lip or palate, they can have a high risk of speech problems. Uh, For children who are born deaf, again, they can have a high risk of speech difficulty if that uh, hearing hearing impairment isn't picked up at birth and then they're managed with uh, with amplification, hearing aids and an implant, for example. Um, So for a small number of children, there is a known cause, but for the majority of children, we actually don't know what causes it. Really, it's really frustrating for parents when a speech pathologist is faced with that question from a parent desperately wanting to know, so what caused this? And we need to say, actually, we don't really know. What we do know at the moment is that speech problems, this kind of phonology difficulty, it's related to language difficulties, also learning to talk. Um, We do see that it runs in families. Um, We do see it occurs more in boys than girls. And so there's some quite exciting research suggesting there may be some genes that are implicated into it. Um, Just like genes for other kind of problems, it seems like there is a gene for phonology difficulties as well. Um, Kind of watch this space so we can try try and discover um, really really what's causing it. I'm sure understanding what's causing it can help with the treatment. But in the In the meanwhile, Mm. waiting for the Holy Grail, what are the things that can be done to help children when they are having difficulties with language at that age? Okay, I think... um I guess it's helpful for parents to know some of these milestones to know whether or not they should be worried. So if a parent has a two-year-old, it's okay for um, a two-year-old's speech, around about about half to three-quarters of their speech, um, should be understood by an unfamiliar listener. So that means that someone who's unfamiliar with your two-year-old is probably going to struggle to understand your child, and that's okay. It's normal for a two-year-old to have errors in their speech. For a three-year-old, it should be around about three-quarters of what... What a three-year-old says should be understood by people unfamiliar with your child. So again, if unfamiliar listeners, let's say someone at the bread shop or you're going out to shops and, and your child says something and they um, you know, say, oh, what did you say, a puzzled look, then that's okay some of the time. But by the time a child is four, their speech should be 100% clear or unintelligible understood by people who are unfamiliar with the child. Even and But is it still okay that they get words wrong? Oh, it's still okay. There's a few sounds that are still okay for a four-year-old, but you should be able to understand them. So, for example, it's totally fine for a four-year-old to say wabbit for rabbit or use the F sound as in four, one, two, three, four. um, And they get tense wrong still Oh, they do get tense wrong as well, yeah. So there's still some grammatical errors that you'll see and there still are a few speech sounds that can be tricky, like the TH sound. Often they'll use the F sound in four for the TH sound in thumb, so a thumb is a thumb and rabbit's a wabbit. So there's still a few areas that are acceptable for a four-year-old, but their speech generally should be understood 
Yeah. Yes. And so when parents are starting to get concerned that actually I'm having to interpret for my child too much, they're not understood, or sometimes, you know, I've had parents um, that often that point of, point of referral can be the beginning of a year, the year when a child starts preschool, when they're three or four, and they start to listen to the speech of their child's peers, and they realise actually... These other kids' speech is easier to understand than my child's speech. I'm a bit worried. Um, in actual fact, there was a study, a population study found in Australia, around one in four parents of Australian uh, preschoolers, who have a, uh, preschoolers in Australia, are concerned about their child's speech. So it's quite an issue that parents are concerned about. Um, but we do find that not it's not a problem of one in four. Okay, It's more like for most preschool um, classrooms, there'll be you know, a classroom of 20, there'll at least be one or two children that have this kind of phonology problem um, and usually the parents are concerned. So if you are concerned, you've got a three or a four-year-old and you're concerned about your child's speech, seek the advice of a speech pathologist. They'll be able to tell you whether any of those areas are okay for the child's age or whether they need some help. Now what parents can do right from the get-go is use nice, clear, simple speech models. So don't use that baby talk and say, oh, look at the baby wabbit. Um, It's that's really unhelpful. We want to hear nice, clear, accurate speech sounds. So the child is learning to hear clear speech. So that would be the first thing is nice, clear speech models. And then um, when if a child does need therapy, what a speech pathologist would do for this kind of phonology type problem um, is work out what are the uh, rules that the child has in their uh, system. So for example, um, it's common for this kind of problem for a four-year-old to say, for example, words that start with two consonants at the beginning, like spider and spoon and stick and ski. They might leave off the S at the beginning of all of those words. And so there's a rule there that the child has, which is if there's two sounds at the beginning, I'll leave off the S. And so a speech pathologist needs to find out the rule. And once you've figured out the rule that the child is having trouble with, then the therapy is designed to teach the child the right kind of rule. Um, one of the typical kind of procedures in this therapy approach um, is having words that pair together. So, for example, spy and pie, for example. If a child has that rule of, I'm going to take off the S sound in spy, then it'll sound like the word pie. And so we'll have little pictures there of a spy and a pie or a key and a ski. And then you're saying to the child, tell me which ones I'm going to pick up. And the child will say key. And then you're continually picking up the key. But the child is saying, no, not the key, the key. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's at that point where we start to teach children actually to make your words understood. There's a rule you've got to learn and say, oh, if you want to say ski, we need to sound at the beginning. Watch me and then we'll have some imitation, teach them how to produce it. And then when the child has that attempt at saying ski, it might not be beautiful and perfect at first, but once they attempt that and say ski, we say, oh, now I understand you. And they st- then they start to crack the code for that rule. And then once they learn that for a few words, it actually changes all of those words that are associated with that rule. So fascinating. Oh, yeah. You sound like a detective. I love it. It is. It's a little bit like when working and and listening to a child to start with. It's like a Sudoku puzzle and figuring out what are the rules that they've learned and what are the rules that they haven't picked up and have they got their own little rules that we then need to figure out and help them um, unravel and learn to match their speech to the adult. I bet you're good at Sudoku. Oh, actually, I'm good at figuring out the puzzles in children's speech, but not necessarily Sudoku. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Elise, thank you so much for coming in today. Pleasure. Thank you much, Siobhan. That's Dr. Elise Baker. She's a senior lecturer in speech pathology at the University of Sydney. And to read more of the research into the relationship between 
dummies and speech development, just head to our website, kindling.com.au, and search for speech. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.